Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9, and 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the, disper the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Benthia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. We have begun a new series called Most Deeply Human, and this is just the second message. I've entitled this message, Person's Identity and Destiny. Person's identity and destiny. If you have not heard last week's message, I, I knew it was a bit of a, it's a challenging message, and, um, but it's a really important one. And here today, I'm really picking up what I preached last week. So if you haven't heard it, or maybe if you don't remember it, I think it would be worth returning to that message. Um, it's on our YouTube channel and our, and our podcast and so forth. And it's not at least the whole thing. At least listen to the whole first portion where I'm talking about personhood, all right? And I want to pick up from that today and go a little deeper, all right? And so let's get into it. Part one, personhood and identity from God, all right? Personhood and identity from God. That's, that's part one. Part two, all alone without holiness in secular identity construction. So if you don't have Jesus, that's basically what our culture is doing right now. It's called, it's you're doing, you're, you're building your identity. Um, but there's a problem there, and I want to call, I'm going to talk about all alone without holiness in secular identity construction. And then I want to close today's message by talking about holy and victorious persons through the resurrection. Okay? Holy and victorious persons through the resurrection. So let's get this personhood and identity from God. And I want to start 
just right at the beginning of this book. A lot of people don't ever study this book, First Peter, and it's there's he kind of has a, a windy way of uh, constructing his um, constructing his words, but he's actually quite um, deep with a uh, with a small number of words. Now I want to just start by talking about. I did this last week, but I want to go deeper into this. This is how God sees what people are. What is a person? A person, when God made the human person, he had something in mind. He had a certain purpose and glorious and, and, and glorious destiny in mind. And then, and I want you to, and I want to, and, and right at the beginning here, there's also a beginning discussion I want to show you about identity, right? So identity, just for a moment, just stop here, is this whole question is, who am I? <laughs> who am I? What am I? Okay, who am I? It's a really big question and problem today. And even though here in the Bible it doesn't use this word identity, I want to just show you a little bit about how the Bible offers identity to those who know God through Jesus Christ. And how the Bible names who you are. Says it right away. And it's, and it's often in passages like this that start the book. And most of us don't pay attention to these things. It doesn't seem very important. But in, in, in a time such as this, when identity is just so lost and up for grabs, it's very helpful. Okay, So let, let, let's get into it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, that, you know, who does, how, what does Peter say? He didn't say, I'm the son of this person. I, I've made a million dollars. There's something about who he is that's called by Jesus. That's his identity. That's who he is. And he goes on to say this. This is who he wrote this, this letter to. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, etc. Now let me just try to explain what that means. You're like the elect. Okay, I don't understand this language. To those who are the elect, that means you're chosen. That means God specially chose you and set you apart to belong to him. That's what it says. So those who have been chosen by God to belong to him, all right? Exiles means, so there's kind of a two layers of meaning here. So let me just give it to you. In the original context, exile generally refers to, at, at, at the beginning of this, most people, most Jews who did not live in Palestine, they did not live in Israel, they were somewhere else. So, you know, we're a conquered nation, and the Jews have been what they call the dispersion here. The, the Greek word there is, maybe some of you have heard this word, diaspora. It's diaspora. So to the chosen ones who are exiles in the diaspora in various different places, he names those places, names very specific places. And so the Jews of this time, they very much felt like they were, in the world, a second-class set of people. You're not in your home. That's what it means to be in exile. You're, you feel kind of homeless in your place. And so you're in some place where they may disrespect you, they may be racist towards you, they may even hate you or persecute you, and they have this certain attitude towards you. This is what it means to be in exile. The Jews often felt this, especially those who are not amongst their people. That's the first la layer, because most of the, uh, at, least, at least at the beginning, Peter tended to preach 
and minister to Jews who came to faith in Jesus. Okay? But then another layer of meaning is here, which is that the exiles, that the elect exiles were not only Jews, were all those who came to faith in Jesus, whether they were Jews or not Jews. So let me say this to you. Let me read this a little bit differently so that you can hear who you are. If you believe in Jesus, this is how the Bible looks at you. This is God's word to tell you who you are. This is your identity. If you believe in Jesus, this is your identity. Take this, receive this, put this deep into your heart. Make this at the foundation of your personhood, okay? So to those of you who are chosen, set apart by God, who are exiled, who feel like you are homeless in this world, who feel like you're not really at home in this world, whether you are in Sunnyvale or Cupertino or Santa Clara or Milpitas or all throughout the Bay Area, this is who you are, okay? That's how the Bible talks. So let's move on. Verse 2. How are you this way? How are you this way? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge means, that means he knew you before you were ever born, okay? Before you existed and you were born, he knew you. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification is a big theological word that basically means God is changing you to make you holy. That's what it means. The Holy Spirit is going to change you, grow you, to make you holy. You will never be able to stop him for doing this. It's one of the problems of the Christian life. We often want less than what God wants for us. We actually want less than our identity in him is. We actually want what the world is saying, this is what you should want, and then we want the things that the world wants, not, and then rest our life and our personhood in the world's way of thinking about person, human personhood and the world's way of thinking about identity instead of sanctification in the Holy Spirit according to holiness. That's what this, sub, this series is about. And then third, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So you're not just going to just believe in Jesus. You're here to obey Jesus. He's your king. He's your Lord, and he became your king and your Lord. He bought you with his blood. So it says a sprinkling with his blood. Let's just, let me just give you a quick little piece of biblical theology. If you grew up in the church, you've heard that you've been washed by the blood of Jesus and your sins are washed away. Well, in, in the Old Testament, there's a teaching that once a year, God's people would gather together. They would confess all their sins, and upon one most precious lamb, they would slaughter this lamb, and then that blood was, I know this sounds like a really graphic image, but this is what he's referencing here. The high priest would take the blood of this lamb and sprinkle it on the people. So you would stand before this holy act, and he would sprinkle this blood on you. It would fall on your face, and you know what? You'd want to receive it. I know it sounds like, whoa, that sounds gross, but you want to receive it. Because then when that blood is sprinkled on you, all your sins go on that lamb. And all of God's good promises through holiness come to you. So that's what this is about. That's how you got this identity. Who are you? 
You're the chosen ones, homeless, though you may feel whether you're in Sunnyvale or Santa Clara or so forth, but God sees you. He knows you. This is your identity, brothers and sisters. Your identity is, well, I'm an engineer that works for Apple. No. (laughs) Right? Your identity is, uh, well, you know, like um, I'm a a Chinese guy and, you know, I'm in the upper class because I came out of this really good school. No. (laughs) Your identity is this. And it comes from no less than God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a tremendous great cost, okay? Now, let me see. This is such a deep passage. So let me just unpack a little bit more. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So keep this in mind. You don't have to work hard at this. You just have to trust and receive that he's made you born again. Born again to a living hope, not a dead hope. Not a religious hope. It's alive. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to return to that in just a second, but I don't have time. I've got to say a few more things, all right? Verse 4. What have you been, what is inside of your living hope? What is this living hope that you get? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I really want to emphasize this. I said this last week, and I want to go back to it again. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. All those who have an identity in Christ, by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Your identity, everything that's good inside of you, it will never die. It will never die. It will never, it cannot be, it cannot be defiled and corrupted and messed up. And it will not fade away. So let me say this now, all right? Last week I said, I gave you this really basic definition of holiness, that that is goodness that is made absolutely pure. Now, let me just let me add and make this definition a little tighter now. This is when something is good and it is imperishable. I said absolutely pure, right? That's the same as undefiled and unfading. That's holiness. <laughs> that's holiness. Holiness is not religiosity. It's not trying to be a good person. It's not really trying very hard to be a nicer person, even though you're naturally a grumpy and selfish person. Okay? It's like, I'm naturally a grumpy and selfish person who has a tendency to lie when it gets very convenient to me. But for about two hours, I'm going to try to be holy. No! (laughs) That's not what that is. Right? Holiness is something by grace. Everything about you and inside of you made imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, that sounds so good. Right? You know, in our soul, we, we, we really, in our culture, we don't really take, think this word holiness is very exciting or interesting. But if I define it this way, don't you think it's interesting? <laughs> don't you think it's more than interesting? So, here, let's, here's how the Bible, again, 
the Bible. Not Susang, not some preacher, the Bible, God's Word. All right? So, you get this incredible inheritance. Verse 5. Who by God's power, this is you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in his last time. So you are guarded by God's power. And do you know what God's power looks like in you when you're being guarded by God's power? For everything that's good that he's giving you, including your very identity, that's imperishable, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, it looks like this. I know this is going to sound crazy, but here we go. It's through faith. Do you have faith? When you have faith, that's God guarding you for holiness. That's what it looks like. But pastor, my faith is, it stinks. <laughs> I have at best C minus, on a good day, I have C minus faith. So there's so many days I'm barely a Christian. Okay, let me tell you the good part. God's power guards you. Not your power guards you. Not the strength and quality of your faith guards you. Just there's faith. <laughs> if your faith is really puny and its quality is really bad, but it's there, then God's guarding you. <laughs> God's power is guarding you. You will not be lost. And no matter, today you're like, I feel like I'm dying. I am perishing. The goodness inside of me is dying. It stinks. And I am so defiled. Don't believe that. Believe the Bible. The Bible says you have even D minus faith, barely seeming to hang on. God's guarding you. That's your identity. Hear it? Hear me. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Not how much money is in your bank account. Not how well you're performing at work. In this you rejoice. I, I just said something really, really painful and hard to say. I, I was reading this going, in this you rejoice, Susan, not how well you perform as a pastor. In this you rejoice. By grace, God's power is guarding you even when your faith is shaking. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here we go. In this life, even sometimes it may even be necessary, but in this life, it's, it's impossible that you will not be grieved, grieved, you will cry. You will hurt. You'll be grieved by some kind of trial. That the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus. So here's what's saying. This is your faith. It may be weak. It may seem like its quality is poor. But if you have it, it's better than gold. And your faith, it's being tested and purified when you grieve 
with the trial in this world, in this life, they'll make you cry. It'll hurt you real bad. It'll make you cry. But then your faith will get purified and tested. And it'll make you the kind of person that can give all praise to the Lord. This thing that we were saying, no tears, no shame, this thing that we sang today, it'll never fade. Your joy, your praise in Jesus is better than gold. It's better than gold. It's better than your bank accounts. It's better than your 401k. Okay? This is identity in Christ. This is identity in Christ. This is the person that you have in Christ. And um, so, brothers and sisters, would you follow this? Now, some of you are like, um, wow, Pastor Zong was kind of on fire. I normally tell you the good stuff at the end. You're like, oh, he's going to tell us how much we stink. And then we're going to, he's going to tell us the good news at the end in part three. Duh. You know, I, 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 I juked you today. I gave you something so good at the beginning. This is your identity if you believe in Jesus Christ or the gospel. Okay? Part two. What if I don't believe in Jesus? What if I don't believe it? So, part two is I entitled all alone without holiness and secular identity construction. And so, you know, there are people who don't believe in Jesus. And of course, you don't have what I just said. that This is not your identity. But you know, there's lots of Christians who do believe in Jesus, but you're not actually living inside this identity. You're actually living in something else. You're trying to build your identity like the world tells you from yourself. Not from God, not from the Bible, from yourself, from your own wisdom. And so, I said this last week, but I want to return to this. What does it mean to be human? Where can I get my personhood? And how can I build an identity? Okay, I don't want to you know, make this sound like a boast, but I've studied worldviews very, very seriously. I, I, I almost finished a PhD in systematic theology. So what that basically means is I study worldviews systematically. Systematically. That means if you believe, they say they believe in something here that's in the system over here, you can't believe this thing over here. That's what systematic theology means. So systematic worldviews. So I want to give you, I want to make a claim. What does it mean to be a human person? And I've said this before, but I want to re- revisit this because it's so important. There are only three pathways to building your identity, to being a human person. In all the world's, in all the world's worldviews, there's only three pathways. Animal, you're going to build yourself to be like some kind of animal. Or like a devil, or the way Bible says, to be like God. Those are the three pathways. If you believe in the secular way of building your identity, you, you're, you're, you're trying to build your life on the human being as a really smart animal. That's basically it. The world is basically a jungle or a desert. And all the creatures that you encounter are basically just different kinds of animals. It's like you meet a dog and 
You're just smarter and more powerful than the dog. That's why the, do the dog obeys you and is afraid of you. Okay? Because we're just more powerful. Just like, you know, the zebras run away from the lion, the dog, if we are mean to the dog, the dog will cower because like, okay, he's, a big, he's a bigger animal. <laughs> but you know what? This is how we are with each other too. You go into the jungle called your, your, your workplace or the jungle that you call high school or the jungle that, you know, you called college. And you meet all these other different animals. Some are better looking, some are tougher, some are smarter, some have got like a, like a, a weapon that they call their tongue. And they, then they use that tongue on social media. And we're afraid of those animals. Or maybe you are that animal because you're, 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 you're the one. But if there's no heaven, there's no, there's no God, there's none of everything that I just said in part one. Everything I just said in part one, if you don't believe in any of that, you're like, that was a lot of weird religious stuff. But now, I hope I have your attention because this is all you got. This is it. And so as, as the human animal, you go to school, you pick up skills, you add to your resume, you know, you, you do your hair, you, you wear the right, right, you know, the right, right cologne or perfume. You, you, you know what that is, right? It's, it's called, the, you know, the animals have pheromones. <laughs> and then they give off certain scents, and then they attract the opposite sex. So that, that's what we're doing when we put on the perfume <laughs> or the cologne. We're just being a smart animal. And, and uh, then you're just going into the jungle. It can get worse. It can get worse. Um, some people decide that they're going to, they get a worldview and they decide that certain other human beings are like to be treated less than animals. And I would say this is like trying to be human like the devil. So I'll just give just one example. It's so common in history. So sometimes, you know, it could just be somebody who's just evil and just pushing down somebody else. But I'll just, let's just use a particularly horrible example um, that a lot of people have forgotten about today. So my wife wants to watch this uh, drama that's on Netflix. And um, I think it goes something, I think it's called uh, uh, When They Killed My Father or something like that. And it's, a it's based on a memoir. It's a movie based on a memoir about a woman who's Cambodian. And in the 70s, what happened was there was a Marxist communist, you know, revolution. And the group that came into power were called the Khmer Khmer Rouge. The leader was a guy named Pol Pot. And he decided that all the intellectuals and the people who run, you know, our society inside the city should be pushed out into the countryside. And because everybody, we should all be these agrarian farmers. And then they took on this view. And if you did not obey they would whip you and beat you and then ultimately kill you. And so they revolutionized the economics, the power structure, and the politics of our society. And in a country of about 7 million people, it's unbelievable, just think about this, 2 million people died. 2 million people died. Some died of starvation, some died of murder. It's unbelievably horrible. And to this day, Cambodia has never really recovered from that. How can you? 
can you? And so the wound of that horrible trying to be human by devil, millions of people have paid a tremendous price. And so don't think that human beings can't be devils. And don't think that we have to like we we have to not be vigilant. So some of you think that we shouldn't think about politics or we shouldn't learn various important you you think that philosophy or worldviews are unimportant or religion. Some of you are like you just poop religion, it's boring. No, 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 no. Religion is worldview. It's very, very serious business. Right? But let me tell you, take you to the third one. And this is 2 Peter chapter 1. So here he says it, and I want you to see the third way that God gives us personhood and identity, right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and God's. All things. Divine power, not your power. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's Jesus. <laughs> By knowing Jesus who called us to his own glory and excellence, that's how you get the divine power for all life and godliness. Verse 4. So here we go. How are you human? Like animal? That's the secular way. To like devil, which is probably some kind of evil ideological way from the pits of hell. And third, like God. And here's how he puts it. Verse 4. By which he, that is the Lord, has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The word there, very great, it's actually a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, such a weak translation. Let me, let me try to translate it. By his precious and absolutely maximally magnificent promises. The word there in Greek is like of maximum magnificence. He has granted to us his precious and maximally magnificent promises. So that through them you may become, here we go, catch this. Partakers of the divine nature partakers of the divine nature. You're not just going to be human just the way we know how to be human. You're not just going to be human and fumbling around in our human powers. What you're going to get is you're going to be a participant, a recipient, a partaker of something of the divine nature. That's the gift. And in this way, you will escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So all throughout the world, you're in this world, you have all these desires. The word there for desires of the twisted lusts. The twisted lusts and greeds of the world. So it's not even just like some bad activity. There's something that's twisted and gross inside of our hearts, of our lusts and our greeds. That's a perfect description of unholiness. But instead, God says, you can be human 
There's something of a divine nature. It's something from outside of the system. Outside of the secular. Secular means the world. Outside of the secular, God's going to grant it. And he gives it to us through the resurrection of Jesus. Now I want to give you one illustration about this. Um, some of you are going like, okay, okay, preacher, there's a lot of interesting. I want to talk to you about one thing. It's, for those of you especially who don't, may not believe in Jesus, I want to tell you, the jungle of the world, you very much underestimate the sins of other people. And you might have experienced that already. Somebody who's really hurt you or taken advantage of you. You underestimate your own sins. You overestimate your own righteousness, how good you are. And you go into the jungle of the world, and there are dangers that in the previous chapter it said that you will grieve with very, very painful hardships. The jungle, inside of the jungle of the world, there are hardships, there's the danger of hardships that's going to make you cry. And no amount of anything that you get in the world can fix it. Okay? So right now in this world, there's the promises like if you work really hard, you go to a good college, you get a really good successful job, and then maybe you, you'll find the love of your life, all this kinds of stuff, and then you'll have success and you'll have a great and good life. Right? That's, these are the promises of this world. But let me tell you something. You could go to a really good college. You could ace your classes. You can go to a great grad school and get great skills, great company, even meet a really good wife or husband, have like picture-perfect kids and the great dog and all of that. And there are grievous pains in this jungle that will break the goodness in your heart and you will find out that truly this world is unholy and you are unholy, that, there's a, that goodness inside your life is far from unfading. It can very much perish. And so I just want to give you one example of this before I go to the close of my message. So, um, so I, <laughs> this is just kind of like where you get your illustrations these days and it's where I'm getting them. Um, my wife and I are watching this uh, K-drama, this Korean drama. Uh, it's called uh, Dear My Friends. And um, it's on Netflix. And don't, don't, don't watch it. That's my recommendation. Okay, it's, it's not that good. Okay, it's not that good. Okay. So don't watch it. Don't, don't spend, you know, 16 plus hours just to, to catch this part. Okay. But, but um, and don't, I'm not ruining it. So if you want to watch it, yeah, sure, sure, for fine. Okay. But, so I want to just give you an illustration that uh, really made me think about this message. So, in this, uh, in this drama, in this drama, there's, a, there's this woman. Her name is so, it's a, it's a story of a bunch of elderly people. So it's a story of a bunch of old people, actually. And they've all been childhood friends. And you kind of find out one by one, bits about of the backstories of each of these childhood friends. And one of the women, her name is Hija. And he just, she's a widow. Her husband passed away. And she's, you know, she, they made good money. Um, she seemed to have had a quote-unquote good life. And um, her husband passes away. And then she feels guilty that she's like a burden to her children. So <laughs> she doesn't want to go live with them. And she feels very lonely. And she's facing the world. And she only has her friends. And actually one of her friends 
is a tremendously good friend. This friend is, is called Chang'e. And when you watch her, she's really, she really has quite a, an admirable character. And she's the kind of friend that you and I, you, you should all have. But there's this thing that comes out. So there's this interesting sequence. She, she meets her ex-boyfriend, okay? This is like the first love of her life. And he's old now, too. He's a widower. They didn't marry each other. He's a widower. Now she's a widow. They, re, they kind of re, meet each other again. And, you know, they're not dating. But he asks her this. He asks her these two important questions. One is, what was the happiest moment of your life? And she says, when my first son was born. That's what she says. When my first son was born. And then he says, what is the saddest moment of your life? And she says, when my first son died. When my first son died. And then the drama moves on. And she's, she's like an old lady. She's probably in her early 70s. And she's starting to decline mentally. And she starts having strange behaviors and bit by bit. So she wakes up in the middle of the night. She's Catholic. So she'll go to Catholic church and she'll pray before, you know, the altar, and then she goes on these walks. And then the next morning, it seems like she doesn't remember, and they're wondering why she's doing it. And then when she's confronted about, finally, when one of their friends finds out about it and asks her, she doesn't want to talk about it. And then what the, as the story unfurls, what you find out is that many, many years ago, when they lived a little further out in the countryside, before they ever owned a car, their, her first son got sick, and her husband was away. And she tried to call him or whatever, but couldn't reach him. She called her best friend, and her best friend says, my life is so hard, I can't help you now. And it's true. Her best friend, who's this tremendously great friend, she lived a very, very hard and painful life, often really being ignored and beaten down by her husband. And she couldn't be there for her in this really, really important moment. And so she could see that her son is sick. And so she picks up her baby son on her, on her back, and she goes to the hospital. And so she walks, you, they show her walking down this long, it's actually a beautiful pathway with a lot of beautiful trees, and she's holding this baby son, and while she's holding this baby son to get to the hospital, he doesn't make it. And he dies in her arms on the way to the hospital. And this happened to her when she was a young woman. But here she is as an old woman in her early 70s. And it still haunts her. And as her mind starts to decline, this wound is there. And there's things inside of her life where she barely seems to want to live. There's a portion of this drama where she actually considers suicide. And you can, you're starting to get a feel for how deeply lonely and how much pain there is in her heart. She never got over this. She never got over this. And so all of her other good things, she's got a nice house, 
She has no lack of money. She has really good friends. Her son, she has a second son who deeply loves her. He really, really loves her. All right? You can see that he's a good son. And yet, none of these things is enough. And so, this, her life, her personhood, the good things inside of her heart, they're starting to die. Can't you see? Her good heart and her good life and her good joys, they're not imperishable. They're very perishable. And you can see, there's, when her friends find out about this, this is a crazy and unbelievably painful portion. She lashes out at her best friend, jung She lashes out at her and says, why weren't you there? She starts blaming her. I don't have anybody except you. And why weren't you there when I needed you? And so you could see, of course she doesn't mean to say anything so painful. She truly loves, this is her very best friend in the whole world. And yet, at this most, most painful thing, her sin lashes out and just rips her friend's heart apart. So even inside of her pain, there's defilement from her own heart. And you could feel that her life is just ebbing away. Her life is not imperishable. Her, even her friendship are not undefilable. And she is fading. That's what you see. It's like you're watching this drama, and one of the central story arcs is, is she going to make it? Is she going to make it? She's fading. She's fading. <laughs> this is the drama of holiness. So what I want to say to you is if you don't have Jesus, this is one of the great, great downsides. You're like, I'm not really interested in this Jesus stuff, this religion stuff. Pastor, it seems really interesting to you. I never really thought it was very relevant, but I hope you would reconsider if you don't believe in Jesus. And if you do believe in Jesus, if most of the time you wake up on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, you're mostly fixated on Identity built on myself. Identity built on the desires of the world, which the Bible says is corrupt. The twisted lusts and greeds of our desires. If this is the way you want to build your identity in your life, not based upon the identity and promises, the maximally magnificent promises given to us by Jesus, then you're saying you're going to put yourself you're making yourself all alone in the world. You're walking into the jungle. You have your friends. You have your family. You have your money. You have your health. You have your promotions. You have your good name. You have your good status in the world. I'm telling you, you're vulnerable. You don't have enough for the jungle. If you want to live and have love and goodness and joy forever, you need a savior. <laughs> Now, let me close my message this way. Right. I want to show, show you um, an image. So this is, you know, we have a sister in our church, wonderful sister who's the lead of our design team. And I don't know if you pay attention to these images. So she came up with this image for this sermon series, Most Deeply Human. And that is an image of the empty tomb of Christ. Here was a man who was crushed and humiliated. And all our most 
twisted and gross lusts and greed were placed upon him. All of our sins were placed upon him. And God poured out the wrath that we deserve upon him. And yet, look, that tomb is empty. <laughs> Why? Because the Son of God is the Holy One of God. <laughs> because in him is a life that is where everything that is good is imperishable. It cannot die. Even though everybody on that day saw that he died, all or the most terrible things happened to them. The most horrible things. He died, yet he could not stay dead. And though all our sins were upon him, everything that was most gross and horrible and disgusting from everything in the world, your sins, my sins, all our sins were now placed upon his shoulders, he could not be defiled. He was absolutely pure. And all of his goodness and all of his love and all of his mercy and all of his kindness and all of his promise, it cannot fade. Because see, he walked right out of that tomb. That's what resurrection is. Resurrection is the victory of holiness over unholiness. That's what it is. The resurrection is proof that holiness wins. That holiness is forever. And you know what the gift of God through Jesus is? That you and I would be become human like God, which is to say human like Jesus. <laughs> so we're going to go into the jungle. We live in the jungle. And we're going to be hit with hardship and pain that's so that will make us grieve, that will make us cry. And it's going to make you feel like, I don't think I could take this. My life is fading. I feel like I'm dying. And yet, if you have faith, even small little faith, even D minus faith, you are guarded, you are guarded by God. You are guarded by God so that he can give you his greatest gift. The greatest gift is the holiness of God through Jesus. So you'd have a new humanity, a new identity, a new identity that can take on anything in the jungle. That even your own failing, that your own sinning, your own ways that you go and corrupt and defile your life, your friend's life, your family's life, you don't even mean it, but you will say some kind of words that will hurt your most beloved ones just like Hijah does. See, we're all, at the end of the day, we're her. <laughs> Yet, we are not all alone in secular identity construction. We have Jesus. <laughs> and that tomb is empty. And that empty tomb means you and I have hope today, not just tomorrow, today to defeat and have victory over the hardships that make us cry and grieve. Brothers and sisters, would you believe that? Lock down your whole life on that. Seek holiness 
It's yours. Just get more of it. And throw away all these twisted, bad desires and make yourself different from the world. So strange and wonderful and beautiful like Jesus. May we offer that to our neighbors and live in that joy. A joy they'll never end. Let's pray. Lord, we only know joy that's defiled, that perishes, that fades. We regularly wake up every day chasing glories that we defile and they fade away and is here today and gone tomorrow. We're so happy if we can get a house. And just in a few years from now, nobody even thinks this house is cool. We're so happy when we get this degree. And yet, in a few years from now, nobody will even care about this degree. We want to set our eyes upon the corrupt desires of the world and even build our humanity and identity upon these things. But not because we can do it, because, oh, Lord, we cannot. Would you release us from the shackles, the enslavement of these twisted desires and help us to run into the new humanity and identity of the holy, conquering Jesus. Thank you that we have this great hope. Have mercy upon us and love us. And thank you for continuing to love us even when we don't deserve it. Help us to know that your grace and peace will be multiplied, overflow on us, as the passage says, too. And you will not let go, but you will guard us with faith until we sing your praises forever and there'll be no more tears and no more shame and no more pain. Help us to conquer the hardships of the jungle and live inside of your glory, a taste of your heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.